Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright, and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called Fried Chicken, A Love Story. It's by Stuff National Correspondent Steve Kilgallen, who joins me now. Hi, Steve. G'day, Michael. Steve, uh, quickly tell us what the story's about so we don't get the wrong idea. It's, it's a story about our bizarre national obsession with Kentucky Fried Chicken, or KFC as they call themselves now, and I guess what that means for our national character. Interesting idea. Uh, how did it come to form the basis for a long read? Well, as you know, up here in Auckland, we're still in some form of lockdown. And in the early days of the lockdown, when it was uh, at its most severe, um, I noticed a lot of people, particularly on social media, talking about how the one thing they really wanted when they got out of lockdown was some KFC. Um, And it intrigued me that of all the things that we were missing out on and that came to represent freedom, it was this imported American fried chicken that so many people held so dear. Um, And then everyone will remember that after that, there was the case where the police intercepted some people trying to cross the Auckland-Waikato border with a car boot full of KFC, and that even made it onto um, Stephen Colbell's television show in America. Um, So it just really intrigued me why we'd reached this stage where KFC was the defining symbol of of freedom um, to enjoy... um, a typical New Zealand life. How had we ended up at this stage? Yeah, that is strange when you like take a step back and look at it. That a fast food outlet can have like social currency like that. Is that are we unique or, or strange in that respect? It does seem that there's a, a worldwide trend towards fried chicken, but uh, more at the fashionable, trendy end of the market. And you couldn't accuse KFC of being that. Um, we are unique in that they don't have a competitor here. They've cornered the market. Um, and they've probably used some techniques along the way to entrench themselves in our culture. And when I first started writing the story, I thought this was going to be an amusing thing about this very non-Kiwi thing becoming part of Kiwiana. But the more I went into it, the more I think it um, reveals a sort of dark side to our national character and it really isn't a good thing. Fast food isn't good for you and KFC is not good for us as New Zealanders. All right, well on that darker note, here is me reading Steve's somewhat first-person story, Fried Chicken, a love story. When New Zealand first went into a COVID-19 lockdown in March 2020, Alex had only one thought. KFC. When everyone else was panic buying toilet paper, I drove to KFC and parked outside at 10am, just before it opened, he says. The first customer inside, he bought a bucket of chicken, chips and mashed potato, drove home and ate it. Then he thought again, how long might this lockdown last? So he returned that evening and bought two more buckets and side dishes, froze the lot and each Friday dug out a ration for himself and his wife. Defrosted in the microwave, 
and warmed in the oven, it still tasted almost as good. On the first day of Level 3, he returned to KFC. It was, he says, amazing. I can vividly remember it. His appetite was so insatiable, the chips were gone by the time he'd driven home. At Alex's white-collar city workplace, a WhatsApp group called the Cluck Bus rounds up the KFC lovers for lunchtime outings. He favours a Friday lunchtime feed with his workmates and then a Friday date night at home. I'm a big fan of KFC and I'm never ashamed to admit it, says Alex, who owns shares in parent company restaurant brands on the theory that fried chicken is recession-proof. It's a comfort food. It's really tasty. And most of all, it's consistent. You can always expect the same sort of enjoyment and taste from it. The spices, the greasiness, the fragrance when you walk into a store. It feels like a time when you can just let go of all your healthy eating. It feels naughty. Each time a lockdown eases, those who haven't shown Alex's freezer foresight have found themselves victims of their pent-up demand. There's been car crashes and traffic jams in KFC car parks. One Auckland councillor pleaded that mobile jabbing stations be set up at outlets to capture the vaccine hesitant. And of course, there were the Auckland border-crossing crooks caught with a car boot full of chicken who earned the mocking attention of US talk show host Stephen Colbert. National leader Judith Collins described the difference between our two most stringent levels of lockdown. Level 3, she said, is level 4 with KFC. Lockdown exposed something significant about the New Zealand character. We're obsessed with American fried chicken. As the late comedian Billy T. James once said, to illustrate an argument that all Kiwis, Māori, Pākehā or otherwise, had a shared cultural background, I've been brought up with radio, television and Kentucky Fried Chicken, like everyone else. It was love at first sight. There was no drive through no dine-in, no delivery, no car parking, one till and just six items on the menu. But they still queued 100 metres down the block, even in the rain, for weeks after the first Kentucky Fried Chicken opened by Auckland's Royal Oak Roundabout on August 19, 1971. A four-page advertising supplement in the next day's Auckland Star declared, Precision is the keynote of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Everything goes like clockwork. Actually, they were scrambling. Based on sales in Australia, where a handful of stores were already operating, six months' supply of packaging had been made. After four weeks, they had to order more. It went gangbusters, remembers Gary Melville-Smith, the first general manager of KFC New Zealand. In retrospect, The reason for that was it was the right product at the right place at the right time. 
There was nothing like it here. And I think because of that, it caught people's imaginations. People were looking for something new. The economy was buoyant at the time, and the average person had a bit of money to spend. Melville Smith worked for General Foods, then the parent company of Tip Top Ice Cream, which came up with the idea of bringing in KFC to drive custom for another of its brands, Teagle Chicken. He remembers a confidence that it would be successful. A joint venture was formed with the US parent company and import licenses secured to bring pressure fryers from the United States. Each had to be individually certified by the Labor Department under the same regulations as commercial boilers. Plans were made for a chain of 40 outlets. There was little competition. The only other takeaway chain was a domestic product called Uncle's Burgers. The only poultry rivals were Homestead Chicken, which came much later and went into receivership in 1989, and the smaller Big Rooster. While the Australians had to contend with Red Rooster and the Americans with Chick-fil-A, New Zealand was ready to be exploited. When you look back, says Melville Smith, it was a wide open space. KFC was the first big American takeaway chain to arrive in New Zealand. Melville Smith brought the next to market when he started Pizza Hut in 1974. McDonald's was third to arrive in 1976. People loved it because it was something from overseas, Melville Smith says. Something a bit different. The menu was simple. Fried chicken, potato and gravy, some sweet yellow buns to dip in the gravy, coleslaw, bean salad, and, in a revolutionary move, French fries. Melville Smith is fairly certain New Zealand was the first KFC to sell chips. Those 40 stores have grown through ownership changes to 103 nationwide. KFC is now owned by the publicly listed restaurant brands, which also holds the New Zealand Carl's Jr. and Pizza Hut franchises, plus fast food master franchises in Hawaii and Australia. Positioning itself as the Howard Hughes of fast food, restaurant brands declined to give stuff an interview for this story, but through a public relations agency, eventually supplied some anonymous answers to specific questions. Incidentally, Alex was right about restaurant brands being recession-proof. Forsyth Bar stockbroker David Price, while not being allowed to recommend I buy their stock, says while spending drops on other discretionary products like beauty treatments during tough times, fast food doesn't suffer. Instead of spending on going out, people shop down, Price says. It becomes what they do as a treat instead of going out. Fast food continually outperforms, even during the bad times. We can't be blamed for liking KFC, says food scientist Professor Russell Keast. We're fighting against thousands of years of evolutionary history. Keast, from the Faculty of Health at Melbourne's Deakin University, talks about how life first evolved out of the sea. 
bathed in this salty solution, and once on land, had to seek out salt to survive. Sodium is essential for life, but humans don't have major stores of it, and we lose it in sweat, urine and feces, so have to regularly replenish. Thus, we developed a hedonic response, or a feeling of pleasure, to the taste of salty foods. And fried chicken, says Keist, ticks a lot of those survival boxes for our hunter-gatherer bodies, combining fat, salt and sugar, all once-prized nutrients, into one package. Now, of course, those things are all cheap and readily available. That hedonic response has become an evolutionary relic, Keist says, but we're not letting go of it. It is with us, our children, and in 10,000 years' time. This problem is not going away. We're playing with 5 billion years of biology. We're not changing that in a few hundred years. There's a lot going on when you take that first bite of fried chicken, Keist explains. The smell has forewarned us, as has the feeling of the chicken in our fingers. What he calls the first pressing of it between our teeth gives us an indication of how good it will be. Our brains associate crispness with quality. There's a further release of smell through something called retronasal olfaction. Then we get the taste sensations. Sweet, sour, salt, bitter, umami, fat, carbohydrate. Boyd Swinburne, professor of population nutrition and global health at Auckland University, calls it the bliss point. The perfect amount of something addictive like salt or sugar at a level that triggers the taste buds. Vegetables don't have much of a chance, he says scornfully. Keist describes a cycle in which salt, fat and sugar are alternatively demonised in the media and food producers, attempting to limit negative publicity, try to reduce their use. The problem, he says, is that people like the taste and would notice their absence if the levels dropped more than about 10%. There's also no healthy salt substitute and artificial sweeteners have been shown to trigger an appetite response, leading to greater consumption. It's a nasty paradigm the food industry is in, Keist says, trying to satisfy consumers and the public health nutritionists. But while salt is essential for life, it isn't good for you. It hooks us in. New Zealanders eat almost 50% too much salt a day you're recommended to consume about a teaspoonful. Too much salt can cause increased blood pressure and has been linked to higher risks of heart problems and stomach cancer. When Dr Sally Mackay studied the composition of popular fast food meals, the salt levels were what jumped out. It does add flavour, and I guess we've always known sodium intake is too high in New Zealand. And quite a lot of it comes from fast food, says Mackay, a senior lecturer in population health at Auckland University. According to her as-yet-unpublished study, one particular KFC burger exceeds the maximum daily sodium intake by itself. Nearly two-thirds of KFC combo meals 
provide more than the maximum daily recommended level of sodium. 58% provide more than half our recommended daily energy requirements, and 47% more than the maximum daily sugar allowance. KFC says, We are proud of the menu items we sell, but as with most quick-service restaurant product offerings, it is intended to be enjoyed in moderation. Among the reforms Mackay advocates are serving size suggestions, targets for change to reformulate healthier meals, and a ban on marketing fast food to kids, so they don't just think it is an everyday food. She also wants proper nutritional information, arguing that KFC provides nutritional labelling for only about half its products. KFC says nutritional information for core menu items is on its website, and for promotional products, on request. My friend Simon is a medical professional, so I haven't used his real name. He eats KFC about once a fortnight. Despite the fact I should know better, he says. Now and then, a good feed of KFC does scratch an itch. One in three adults and one in ten children in New Zealand are considered obese, and you're almost twice as likely to be overweight if you live in a poor neighbourhood. We have the fourth worst obesity rate among the OECD countries. More than half of Kiwi kids aged 2 to 14 eat fast food once a week. 7% at least three times a week. A quarter of our average household budget is spent on restaurants and takeaways. You can't blame it on KFC, but we've had a societal shift. Treat food has become a staple. In part, argues Professor Louise Signal, head of the Department of Public Health at Otago University, that's because junk food and obesity have become normalised. A team led by Signal asked a group of Wellington 12-year-olds to wear body-mounted cameras for four days and recorded their advertising exposure. They found the kids saw junk food advertisements 27 times a day, more than twice as often as they saw ads for core food. Signal says we should ban fast food advertising and sports sponsorship such as KFC support of Big Bash Cricket and the White Ferns, just as we did with tobacco in 1995. Our obesity rate is through the roof, and we need a circuit breaker, Signal says. Why do you like greasy, horrible chicken? It's because it's glamorised. KFC claim they don't market directly to kids, and their sponsorship support for sport is to help promote an active lifestyle and be part of a fun, lively atmosphere. And even that, we don't try to pretend there's any connection between our products and the diets or successes of the players, and we're confident the fans understand this. Signal also co-authored a paper called Prime Minister for the Day, asking kids what they would change about New Zealand. 60% said they would ban junk food marketing. They see the ads, 
it makes them hungry and they buy it, even though they know they shouldn't, says Signal. That's what they told us. My 11-year-old son tells me there are kids at his school who arrive early enough to buy chicken from the KFC across the road, known in student slang as the Kids Fattening Centre, and walk into class with it in their bags. Others have maximised their brief window between the final bell and the departure of their bus to nip across the road for a bucket. Why do we say it's okay for multinational junk food purveyors to target our kids with sophisticated marketing, says Boyd Swinburne. Why is that okay when we've got the second highest rate of childhood obesity in the OECD? You can't imagine how horrible it is to take the stand and be treated like you're the one in the wrong. Coming soon from Stuff. Especially in a sexual crime situation. From Bird of Paradise for Stuff, this is Tell Me About It. Going behind the scenes of our journalism to the voices of real people whose stories make the news. You're just so out of control of it. You know, I felt like a ghost of the system a lot of the time. It's like, no, why can no one actually see who I am? With me, Kirsty Johnston, Michelle Duff, and our producer, Noel McCarthy. Can I ask you a question that might seem quite basic? Has it all been worth it? From a justice point of view, I would still struggle to say that right now, but it's still raw. Tell Me About It was made possible by New Zealand On Air. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Chicken itself is quite a healthy food. It's a cheap, low-fat protein. But frying it turns healthy into unhealthy. Even when KFC's reclusive executives do speak, they never, ever talk about the composition of the 11 secret herbs and spices, the basis of their entire marketing spiel. Russell Keast says food scientists, if bothered, could fairly easily deconstruct the recipe. And the general guess seems to be some combination of salt, thyme, basil, oregano, celery salt, black pepper, dried mustard, paprika, garlic salt, ginger and white pepper, i.e. lots of salt. KFC founder Colonel Harlan Sanders himself once said the ingredients would be on any home chef's shelves. KFC chicken is then coated in a series of dry mixes of flour, dried egg and milk powder. That suggests recreating the magic shouldn't be hard. Rob, not his real name, is an experienced chef who has worked in various fine dining restaurants. He cooks karagi chicken and hot wings for his kids at home and has something of a fascination with KFC. There's just something about it that's hard to put your finger on, he says. There's something comforting about it. Rob says KFC isn't doing anything as fancy as using buttermilk in its prep, and he rather admires the efficient use of dried ingredients, which allow for freshness and fast on-site preparation in bulk. He considers it difficult to get chicken so ridiculously juicy as KFC chicken without pre-pumping it with a starch solution. Juicy chicken delivers a pleasing contrast with the crunch of the crust and also provides enough moisture 
to make it very hard for it to be overcooked and left dry. He says that's tough for the home chef to recreate. The magic, Rob believes, comes from KFC's imported Henny Penny pressure fryers, which enable the chicken to be cooked at a low temperature. If chicken meat gets too hot, he says, the meat gets tight and dry. Lower cooking temperatures, then the use of a warmer to hold the chicken before serving, relaxes the meat, while also keeping the crust crunchy. Standard deep frying causes moisture to evaporate as steam, drying out the chicken. But pressure frying retains the moisture, in part because the chicken's internal temperature rises much faster, and in part because the steam enveloping the food acts as a temperature buffer. Result? Faster and juicier. Harlan Sanders had worked all this out back in 1934, even if he didn't have the scientific explanation. Sanders began frying chicken at his roadside cafe at a Shell gas station in North Corbin, Kentucky, in 1930. Shallow frying in a skillet took an inefficient 35 minutes. But deep frying, he felt, compromised the quality. So, the former farmhand, deckhand, locomotive fireman and life insurance salesman modified the first commercially available pressure cookers into pressure fryers. When Sanders, the colonel was an honorary title, first franchised his model in 1952, he toured small restaurants with a car full of those pressure cookers and bags of the secret herbs and spices, agreeing a franchise fee of four cents a chicken. I don't have a pressure fryer. So, taking a crack at making decent fried chicken at home, I soak chunks of chicken breast in buttermilk for six hours, then combined flour with rum and Q's dirty bird seasoning, a mix of starch, salt, spices, garlic and unspecified herbs, and shallow fried at a high heat. The kids liked it anyway. In the past 15 years, I can only remember eating KFC once, and I was drunk. It was after an evening football game, and one of my teammates arrived at the pub with $100 of chicken for the team. From memory, it was amazing. For this story, I felt it required a more sober analysis. Verdict? A mixed bag. The actual chicken was pretty good, visually ugly, the skin wasn't tight to the flesh, and there was a stray hair on the drumstick. But the Magic 11 were doing their thing, and while the salt was heavy, it definitely worked. The chips were just chips with some seasoning. The potato and gravy was vile, possibly one of the worst things I've ever eaten. I couldn't touch the coleslaw after that. The Zinger Stacker Burger looked amazing in the photos. A towering mound of golden chicken. And the flesh, not so impressive. And the actual flesh was bland and chewy, with a nasty cut-through of spice. I reckon my homemade chicken was better. But then, I would say that, wouldn't I? 
In 2019, KFC bought a building which housed a pharmacy and a doctor's surgery in Ortara, South Auckland. It was in the heart of what Boyd Swinburne calls a food swamp, a suburb where the food choices are mostly limited to unhealthy options. Community groups rallied, organised a petition and gained media attention, and KFC withdrew its plans. But that local triumph disguised the reality. If KFC had wanted to forge ahead, there was little anybody could do to stop them. Whilst you can lodge an objection to a new pub or liquor store in your neighbourhood, you can't contest the arrival of a fast food outlet. Some academics argue that it's time to set limits on how many fast food takeaways are permitted in a suburb. Policymakers have a lot to answer for, says Swinburne. Why do we let zoning happen like this, where every second shop in a strip is junk food or alcohol? We've allowed it to happen. As a society, we have decided that the commercial imperative trumps people's health and well-being, so we don't regulate for it. Swinburne accuses chains like KFC of deliberately targeting poorer demographics. This is not an accident, he says. This is deliberately planned and funded and marketed. Not an accident at all. And they're reaping the profits. And our poorer communities and our Pacific communities are paying the price. Ortada's local councillor, Efeso Collins, agrees. There is a very intentional strategy on the part of these multinationals to target poorer, more vulnerable areas, he says, because they are aware of what happens when you're desperate. KFC, unsurprisingly, demure. Like most corporate businesses, we invest in research that helps us determine whether to open a store. Traffic, visibility and easy access are all factors that we consider along with other services and amenities in the area. There have been some stirrings around this issue. Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London, said the city had too many chicken shops and suggested borough councils ban takeaways opening within 400 metres of any school. He has also banned fast food advertising on buses and the tube. But Collins says there's a disconnect between central and local government. What can I do, he asks. Unless a takeaway is unsanitary, council has no powers to close it down. Halting KFC in Ōtara, he says, showed the community was not prepared to just accept whatever we get and a desire to make things better for the next generation. Collins describes post-lockdown excitement about KFC as at the shallower end of our expression of freedom. As someone who grew up in Ōtara and still lives in South Auckland, I'm dismayed at how many of our families have turned for a sense of freedom to KFC or Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's. Swinburne, not surprisingly, says KFC and its fellow fast-food travellers were exploitative in the way they marketed that feeling of freedom to us around lockdown. 
their advertising explicitly sided with us, and, he claims, tried to further embed themselves within the New Zealand culture. As the latest Level 4 lockdown lifted in Auckland, KFC, which also gave away free chicken to the vaccinated, told its social media followers, We've missed you. And, Auckland, stop crying. We're frying. As chair of Ōtara Health, Collins says he's seen intermediate-aged children already weighing over 100 kilograms and set up for a life of hardship. That's why he chooses the word shallower. Collins says what's really being reflected is a society where people work multiple jobs, have few home routines and use fast food to ensure meals are on the table. Out of desperation, Places like KFC have become a key part of our community, he says. Not because they are an intrinsic part of who we are, but because we've become so dependent on them, because of the desperate situations so many of our families face. When his own family cater lunch at church and take healthy options, some kids ask where the fried chicken is. I think we've got this palate now that if it's not fried, it's not tasty, Colin says. And if it's not tasty, we don't want anything to do with it. People almost ridicule my daughters because they like eating some fruit or a carrot stick with a bit of hummus. Collins says that when time-poor families are rushing past fast food outlets every day, they're hard to avoid. The chain's market on practicality and price. But it's actually a myth that fast food is cheaper than home cooking. Sally Mackay, the Auckland University lecturer, ran a study in which her team bought a range of popular takeaways, then replicated them in a home setting. A home-cooked chicken dinner was significantly cheaper than its KFC equivalent, and remained cheaper even when the time cost of preparing it was factored in at minimum wage, a finding that surprised even Mackay. It is so pervasive that people think takeaway meals are cheaper, she says. You might imagine there would be only one person with the bright idea of freezing KFC before lockdown. Wrong. In Nelson, trainee teacher Lee Hennigan had the same brainwave. As befits a former journalist, before he drove to the store, Hennigan researched the safety of freezing KFC. On arrival, he limited himself to a simple three-piece pack in deference to his vegetarian wife and her anticipated reaction at seeing a giant bucket of chicken every time she opened the freezer. During lockdown, I got quite into cooking and got creative with recipes I'd never made before, Hennigan says. Every day, it was there. And I'd think, maybe I'll have that for lunch. But I kept it for as long as I could. 
about four weeks in, he buckled and carefully cooked his treat, live-tweeting the experience. It dawned on me that I was probably the only person in New Zealand having KFC for dinner, he says. It was pretty special. Accompanied by his own mashed potato and gravy, the chicken, he says, did not disappoint. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I've had some good KFCs, but that was up there with the best. The rule of pent-up demand says that if we were already chicken fans before, then lockdown would only enhance desire. And retail marketing lecturer Dr Megan Phillips says KFC enhanced that by advertisements that underline the century pleasure of their chicken, but also, less obviously, by advertising that specifically evokes a shared food experience. Think families eating together or workmates heading out for a bucket to create shared memories and emotional ties. Hannigan certainly suspects his love of KFC is founded on a mental association with treats and good times dating back to having it on special occasions as a child. It was cemented when, as a Kitchener-verse student at the University of Nottingham, there was a branch on the ground floor of his apartment block. Hennigan moved to New Zealand in 2009. He's noticed some differences. The UK version of the Zinger Burger is much spicier. KFC here is far cheaper, but in particular, it's social standing. In the UK, he says, it's just another takeaway. Here, it's almost part of the cultural fabric. Still, he now treats the dirty bird as an occasional and usually solo experience, given his children, aged nine and six, are, like his wife, vegetarian. He describes himself as a flexitarian. It's definitely a daddy treat, he says. The kids are a bit disgusted by it. That was Fried Chicken, a love story on the long read from Stuff written by Steve Kilgallen and read and produced by me, Michael Wright. Alert listeners will have noted this episode was overtaken by events. It was recorded before National Party leader Judith Collins was deposed. This episode was mixed by Sam Scannell. Stuff's podcast director is Adam Dudding. If you listened via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening.